When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Smacky and Shot on Score North and scorenorth.com. And welcome in to the Timberwolves Kool-Aid Hot Tub. That's right. On this Feedback Friday. Oh, look at us. A little ho- uh, Declan's gone, so the plane is just kind of flying itself. Like for the it. YouTube audience, I'll I zoom like in it. on us a little bit more there. There we go. Can't promise any, uh, can't promise a smooth ride here with old Macadac producing, but we'll find a way through it. This is Feedback Friday on Mackie and Joe, where we turn the show over to you guys. All your comments, questions, concerns, critiques. You can always hit us up through the Score North app, where we uh, will get to as many as we can every single week. We're always following the YouTube comments, and we're always fighting with people on Twitter and being therapists as well. So we got you guys covered. How late were you at the X, by the way, last night? Uh, we did a uh, Judd's Hockey show. I was probably there till 11 okay. or so. Not bad. Mm-hmm. Not bad. But we did a uh, half-hour show. I mean, it's the first win of the season, so you had to talk about it. It's big got to celebrate. Yeah. Exactly right. So, yeah, it was fun. So uh, this is going to be kind of a, a Timberwolves batch here for the first chunk. Timberwolves are 1-0. They'll play their second game on this Friday night here against, I think, a feistier Utah Jazz roster than maybe people thought when they were stripping everything down. They actually have some pretty good players on that team. But uh, Zach Spies says, as I was watching the collapse in that first game, something dawned on me. I am a Packer fan, and Cat reminds me of Aaron Rodgers. When things are going well, he looks like a top-five player in the league, but as soon as a little adversity hits or defenses start to clamp down, he folds like one of the old newspaper things. As Judd puts it, he's not a winning player, but the other seven-footer, Gobert, does look like a winning player, constantly getting defensive stops down the stretch, big rebounds, and putbacks. What do you make of this comparison? Well, first of all, Aaron Rodgers has three or four MVPs, so um, it's a little bit difficult because Cat has certainly not achieved that status he also has a championship, which Cat does not have. But I totally get what he's saying because the current day Aaron Rodgers, when things go wrong, I mean, you can see the shoulders slump. You can see him start to complain and the jet and yeah. the look, right? There's but some body Kat, language stuff with yeah, both guys. So, yeah, yeah. so I do think the current day comparison, uh, while, while the resumes are very different. So just to be clear, I mean, they're not close. Uh, I do think the Body language, the facial expression, and sort of the attitude comparison right now is good. And with Cat, as I said yesterday, and you guys mocked me, I don't expect him to change completely. But my God, if you're going to play with Gobert, and last year, you know, 
like him or hate him, Pat Bev. Pat Bev knows what Pat Bev wants, and he might be misguided at times. But, I mean, dude, Carl, be a professional. Things are going to go wrong. You're going to get fouled. You're going to – it's the NBA. You play 82 games. Yeah. Um, And, you know, to see him again with the same stuff in game one, Phil. In game one, we saw some of that, oh, I can't believe this or I can't believe that. Um, Clean it up a little bit. Is that too much to ask? Um, no, I mean, you can, you, can, you, can, you can ask all you want. I don't, here, here's where I'm at with this. Uh, I, this is a really interesting comparison. No, Cat hasn't won any MVPs, but he is a top five skill set potentially mm-hmm. in the NBA. How many guys who are, first of all, he's the greatest shooting seven footer in the league's history. Just period. George Mikan was pretty good. <laughs> From inside <laughs> I, six feet. I don't, I don't even know who's seven feet. Underhand. I just throws. wanted to say George Mike. <laughs> um, he is a great shooter. Yes. He's a good rebounder. He's a good passer. He can he can oh, dribble yeah. drive from the top of the key. Um, you know, he has some defensive skills, but they haven't all translated necessarily. I'm not saying he's a perfect player or that he's Giannis or something, but right. Um, but in terms of like what he can do at seven feet tall, I don't know that, that you can name definitively five or six more just talented players in the league. And Aaron Rodgers, you know, the mobility is not quite what it was, but for a long time it was like howitzer for an arm, accuracy, weird arm angle throws, mobility, all these things. Yep. And as a once the Packers got out to a lead, it was just an avalanche of unstoppable offense. And the Timberwolves have been that way too. You get out to a lead, things are going well. Like Cat is dropping twenty seven and fourteen rebounds and threes and all this stuff. But once the Packers get punched in the mouth, once the referees start making some bad calls or the game starts to go the other way, Aaron is not as much of a foxhole guy as maybe Tom Brady or Patrick Mahomes or Josh. Well, Josh Allen has some issues with with uh, like deficits too, but. Cat's kind of the same way through his career where, all right, Memphis is coming back. They're punching you in the mouth. There's a bad call by an official. Can you block it all out and be zen and be a cyborg? You know, Kevin, I keep going back to Kevin Garnett, the greatest player in Wolves history. He was a highly emotional player, but he didn't get taken out of games emotionally like Carl Anthony Towns does. He channeled emotions like a cyborg, dude. Like he was just, he knew when it was time to go to the dark place in a game and just be hyper-focused and play lockdown clamps defense or not complain to an official or whatever, right? He was, he had, he had, he had this way of going into stoic mode and cat needs that switch that he can flip where he's not being affected. Like he is allowing external things to impact the way that he operates too often. And Rogers kind of does the same thing. So I don't hate this comparison. I don't hate it. Um, I, I just don't want to compare him like as far as successes go, because mm-hmm. you know, Rogers compare the comparison is that the guy has a Super Bowl, multiple MVPs, but you know what? I, I just want cat to do. I just want cat to, and I don't think there's too much to ask button it up. So KG had the ability and look, people followed him. Like it was, it was a, people felt accountable to Kevin, which was great. He was a captain type. Carl's never going to be that guy. Like he is never, no one's ever going to feel really, truly accountable to 
Carl. And and when Carl tries to be a captain type, it comes off cousins like. Like the mm-hmm. the thing I like about Kirk right now is Kirk's just being Kirk. Kirk's like, you know what? I'm cool being Kirk. Um, and there's times where Carl still tries to like be the guy, and it's like, dude, you're just you're a great player. You're not the guy as far as how you are wired. I, but I just want him to button it up so that when things go wrong, he is not exuding a negative influence, which is how I feel when his reaction is, what? How can you not go? That yeah. to me, to me, there's no upside to that. It's not yeah. like his teammates are like, there goes Carl. It's like, there goes Carl again. So I just want him to button it up, accept who he, he is, and try not to have a negative energy that permeates the team because yeah. I really think in the playoff series at times he did that he he let off an energy that I thought was very counterproductive to a playoff atmosphere and, at but, and, but, and it's only been one game but I think Gobert kind of like Gobert's energy kind of balanced out Cat in that game too where Cat was very possible and some of it too is like it's exacerbated I think by him just being behind in basketball conditioning now because of the hospital thing and it's like he him shooting two for 10 or whatever it was probably leads into the frustration, the you know, complaint. Cause now, and then he starts to force a couple drives or kick his leg out on a three pointer. He's got to rein that stuff in, but it feels like Gobert is out there as this kind of wise old sage veteran now. And you saw a couple different times in that game where Gobert would, you know, him and cat would be interacting on the bench and it was Gobert dictating to cat. Hey, here's how we need to play this defensively. And there'd be some by play back and forth. So yeah. I think, Gobert's energy might be able to balance out Cat a little bit. I, I'm not going to expect Cat to be someone that he isn't, but I think you just nailed it. Can they get to a point with everything building this chemistry with his team so that Cat's negative energy or frenetic energy sometimes isn't shipwrecking a game or shipwrecking a series like it did against Memphis? Right. It's, right. Not, in, it's not impacting the rest of the team. And I think that they can... And Gobert is go- going to be good there. And the but the other thing with Carl that's going to be so intriguing now too is, you know, in my opinion, in watching Gobert play offensively, he's going to be more important here th- than he was with the Jazz. But that being said, you know, he's going to ask to do what he does well: defend, uh, play inside. So it's going to be Cat who has to like adjust things, and. Chris Finch and the Timberwolves and their fan base, Phil, need Cat to be comfortable doing that. Like, this can't be this whole, you know, in game 13, uh, this isn't working. You know, I mean, I mean, that's where I can see Cat internally going. And, I mean, this is going to take time. And everybody, uh, it's just like with Kirk and O'Connell. Like, this isn't, we, we all think, oh, my God, you're going to put these two together. It's going to be fantastic. And it might be eventually. But we don't know how it's going to work. And it's going to be a bumpy ride at, at times. And Carl, some of his passes in the opener were fantastic. But there were clearly some things that he's not comfortable yet, either because of health or his role being changed. So, like, he needs to be able to accept the fact that he needs to be comfortable with the fact that there's going to be some some rocky spots here. Uh, that aren't going to work out perfect without making it a bigger deal than it is. Somebody was with point because Cat put out a picture of his uniform, the white uniform after the game on Instagram, and it was like all these spots of was it blood? It was weird. The, yeah, it was spots of something. It looked like dirt, it was, but it was probably blood. But it was like everywhere on his uniform, and I didn't. I, I, I usually they would they would make you change your jersey if there was like that much blood, but 
True. I think he was trying to say like, hey, this is how much contact I took last night. And someone, you know, sent me the tweet and said, you need to back off. Like, you know, this is why Cat complains to officials. I said, listen, bad calls are going to happen. The game is going to be physical. Other teams are going to make runs. It's not unique to the Timberwolves or Cat. What is unique is how you react to the adversity that's happening. Basketball and the NBA are hard. It's going to be hard. You get to choose how you react to the hard. And that's been my criticism of Carl Anthony Towns. Hopefully he can rein some of it in. Yes. And and the one thing that I hope he watched, like if Cat took anything from game one, it's this. Gobert knocked knees, and it clearly hurt like hell, with an OKC player. He was down. They got him up, and he hobbled down the floor and basically played it off, okay? If that's Cat, you know we get the the entire Cat experience, right? The rolling around on the floor, and you're like, oh, my God, he's really hurt. I mean, I can't tell, Phil, I can't tell you how many times we've seen this. Um, I love the fact that Gobert, I don't like the, the fact he, he, he was hurt, but I love the fact that he got himself up, hobbled down the floor, and kept playing. And then in the third quarter, clearly still slightly hobbled, got that steal and that basket to end the quarter. That's what I hope Cat (laughs) watched. But, I mean, that's what I want Cat to watch and be like, dude, you're a big man. You're going to take contact. It's going to hurt. What I don't want to see you doing is writhing around on the damn floor unless you're truly hurt. Gobert got himself up and I thought really showed something there. Uh, Mitch Rand chimes in here via the score of that. It seems like the only thing we lost in the Gobert trade is a hype man in Pat Bev. He was mic'd up last night on TNT too. Just well, how uh, was it? Boy, what, it was it was fun. Like he's he's really entertaining when he's mic'd up, and he, I think he did a good job helping bring the Lakers back in that game with just like helping with their defense. But ultimately, that team is such a train wreck. Russell Westbrook went zero for eleven in that saw, game last I, night. I, I saw. God. Um, with that being said, I'm Pat Bev. I still think the Wolves will go six and one in October. We will win against the Lakers, but we are going to lose to the Spurs once because we won't take them seriously. Looking forward to the season and listening to you guys throughout. Um, on his on his like losing Pat Bev as the hype man. I think now that we've kind of you know seen the off season and uh, some preseason games in the first game, I'm less worried about the loss of Pat Bev's leadership or attitude, if you will. Now that we know. Okay, Austin Rivers, maybe maybe these guys aren't as demonstrative as right. Pat Bev. Right. And they're not getting into guys in every time out. But like Austin Rivers has been around the block in the NBA. He's the he's the longest tenured veteran on this team, tenure veteran in the league. You know, Rudy Gobert might not be the most vocal guy, but he's been in the league for nine years. He knows what he's doing. He can he can help yes. dictate during huddles and things like that. Yep. Uh Torian Prince is a respected and quality veteran player. Kyle Anderson, same thing. Bryn Forbes has been around for six years. Like, I don't know that they replaced Pat Bev one for one, because you just you aren't. But I do feel like they have enough leadership infrastructure here on this team yep. so that things aren't just gonna be rudderless. So I disagree with with Roycey on his contention that he basically hates Pat Bev. I thought Pat, Pat Bev, Bev was was valuable. Absolutely. I thought Pat Bev last year brought a lot. Pat Bev is also a shelf life guy, which means that that you know what he probably could have stuck around this season, but by next year the act would be old. Um, I I sense just from and it's one game, so I might be totally wrong here. Uh, old takes exposed if I am, but I sensed that. 
that Gobert has sort of that captain's presence about him. So like in watching him sort of lead and talk and play and how he handled himself, I think he's got the presence to be like the captain. And and the spark eventually should come like if if you need that Pat Bev spark, should come from Ant, right? So like I am all for this. I am all for taking any potential leadership off Cat's plate. I don't think he has it. I just mm-hmm. don't. Like we've seen it a lot and I don't think he does. Uh but I think that the combination of, of Ant going um ascending and he's definitely a demonstrative dude. And Gobert's sort of quiet but big-time presence, I think they're fine. There's also there's two very different types of leadership in the NBA. There's the vocal leadership that guys like Pat Bev provide or whoever, you know. And sometimes it comes from superstars. But then there's just, like, do the right thing on the court leadership. Mm-hmm. And they have a couple of, like, I was, Jane McDaniels is never going to be the vocal leader guy this season. But Jay McDaniels is a go do the right thing on the court. Go get, go tip a pass. Go get a steal. Go Great. get a rebound. Get to the He's free throw line. He's in the corners. He did. He digs the puck out. Yep. They actually have like when you start to look at this roster on paper. Yep. And it, it's probably two months away from gelling. They've got some star, like bucket creators. They've got a couple big time shooters. Carl Anthony Towns being the number one. They've got an elite defensive presence in Gobert, but then they also have, like, Gobert is also kind of a greasy, grimy, do-the-little-things player. And he can score. Yeah. Jalen Noel can come in and just, like, all right, our offense is sputtering. Just put Jalen in there for seven minutes and go get 13 points. Yes. You know, there's so many components to this team. Torian Prince can just go off for three three-pointers and a half or something, right? And I think they're well-coached, too, which helps a ton. Yes. Gerson, man. Gerson did some good things. There's no denying it. Gerson did some good things. Yeah. Chris Finch was among them. Uh, let's see here. Uh, Derek Anderson says, isn't it ridiculous the national media literally takes a huge, gigantic crap on the Wolves at all possible times by acting like we don't exist? Just watch the national media MVA preview show this week where they did their picks for the just the conference finals and finals, and the Wolves weren't even thought about or mentioned, let alone debated about, to get to the Western Conference finals. All I'm saying is, if there's a year that logically the Wolves should get some hype and fans should be excited, it's this year, probably more than any season in franchise history. Um, what do you guys think? I am not going to get mad about the national media not shining a spotlight on this team. This franchise doesn't deserve right. anything until they earn it. Right. And to this point, they've given the national media and fans no reason to think that they should be taken seriously until they do it. I'd rather this team prove it and stay under the radar. And all of a sudden you look up in January and like, wow, the wolves are the two seed. That's crazy. Okay. You know, I, they don't deserve anything yet. They haven't done anything yet. And I'm fine with that. If they're not mentioned by the national people next season, something's gone wrong. Like that's when you're going to get, yeah, you don't right now. They don't deserve a thing. They don't deserve a thing, but but they need to earn that respect. Like I I don't want a bunch of like, well, they're still trying to learn. It's going to take some time uh, for the chemistry, especially with Cat and, and D'Lo and Gobert and all of that to develop. Uh, but next season, I think, is the goal for the Wolves being on the map. And until then, yeah, yeah prove it. Just prove something. Like you went on the first round against the Grizz, you could have beat them. You, you should have beat them. The Grizzlies were there for the taking. 
Absolutely should have so. beat the Grizzlies. Yep. Yeah, go and yeah, they'll prove it on the court or they won't. I, I'm not going to get too worried about like what they're saying in the in the previews. A uh, couple. Uh, this is more about just like the show and parents. So we now are with Declan. We're now 0 for six on biological uh, parents here. With my dad passing away earlier yeah. this week. Yeah. Uh, Dan Freeberg says the the way you guys have described your relationship and the Minnesota sports that that. Um, You've gone through reminds me. He's talking about me and my dad, I guess. Reminds me so much of my relationship with my father. We had season tickets from 1996 until 2010 and still attend games regularly. I think about how awesome those days were when it was just him and I driving from Sioux Falls to Minneapolis, hanging out, eating in bars, learning how uh, to sports bet from him. Something that you don't really put into perspective until you are older. <laughs> I just yep. turned 30, and now I feel as though my dad and I are just starting to really become friends as well as father and son. I just want to say again, thanks for the daily entertainment for Minnesota sports, and again, sorry for your loss. I was talking with my to my wife about this a couple nights ago where it's so tough because you've, like you, can, you, know, you're, you don't really appreciate your parents until you're probably in your 30s. So your timeline for appreciating your parents doesn't start for like three decades. Then it's like you're 32 or 35. And you're like, oh man, you know what? My parents gave up a lot to go to my games or, you know, maybe my parents weren't so annoying when I was 16. Maybe I was the, the one that should have pumped the brakes. And then once you start to appreciate your parents, yep. now their, their clock is ticking. Yep. And in like, unfortunately in my case, like both my parents are, are gone by the time I'm 37 years old. But it's like, did you ever, like, did you ever have a moment where you thought when you were a little bit older, Oh, I'm like 42 now, or I'm like 35, and I now I kind of understand this about my parents. It only took me decades to get there. Uh, yes, definitely. I and yeah, that this is such a difficult, um, in-depth conversation. But yes, I definitely did. And part of it too is when, because when you're a kid and you're young, before you you be, become a, a snot-nosed teenager, you think to yourself that your parents are perfect. And then you find out they're far from perfect. And then there's that. And then accept- you're annoyed by that. And for then like you're annoyed. Fifteen years. <laughs> yeah. And then and and then you realize eventually, like where where this person is, that they're far from perfect, but they did a lot of things that were sacrifices. Um, so yeah, I I mean it is a, it's a tough thing. I don't know. There's a lot of changing it though, because it's just life's evolution in some ways. Like I'm not saying that you shouldn't be nice, uh, but I am. I am saying I think there's a lot of, I think there's a lot of people that regret things they don't need to regret. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't think regret does you much good unless it's really substantiated by your actions. And being a normal kid and young adult is not like a sin. You know, it's not the worst thing. So, so I think that a lot of people miss their parents and go around. The the one thing I will say is this, and I think you you can identify too now Declan lost his parents young which is a whole different ballgame I can't speak to that uh that would be brutal but I think the one thing that you know I also came to the conclusion of is a lot of people miss their parents a lot which I appreciate and I get but you know by the time my parents passed they were both very old and frail and 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 just a flat out call a spade a spade they weren't the people that i knew as my parents Mm -hmm. so i didn't identify when my parents died i never i don't see that as i don't think boy i wish i could go talk to my mom as she was right before she died because she wasn't that person now do i wish that i could go back to being 
young Judd. I guess if I think about it, maybe at times, but then that gets really convoluted because I like where I am now. I think the most important thing is live in the moment, enjoy it, and don't regret things that you really probably shouldn't regret. I actually needed to hear that because I've spent a lot of time this week thinking back like, God, you know, I always was annoyed at my dad about this, this, this when I was in my teens or 20s or like dismissed him for certain things. But like how many 17-year-olds or 21-year-olds or 13-year-olds are emotionally intelligent and have enough perspective enough to like still accept their parents' flaws for what they are? You know, you, you go like you said, you go through a phase where you think your parents are superheroes and then you realize that they're not and then you get annoyed by them at times and i think this week i've been stuck in the god i wish i wouldn't have been annoyed by this 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 but i don't know what, but i mean that me. was a different stage though like yeah. like and and i think part of the thing so i don't think we think about this because it's probably deep down but i think part of the thing too is when you get to the stage that you realize your parents weren't perfect and they annoy you you're mad at yourself as well mm-hmm. so like there's just a lot of very deep deep things um Life is difficult enough without making it more difficult, which we all, including myself, do. Yep. Yep. Um, yeah. And for my dad, too, I, I, he was very much, he, you know, he was old and then he was 80, but he was kind of 80 going on 90 physically in a yeah, lot of ways with, like, cancer and stuff. And so my parents were like um, that. Yeah. When my mom died, she was 61 going on 48. Yeah. And it was just a totally different That's scenario. a different ballgame. I did not go through that. And yeah. so that's a different ball game. But I'm just saying when they get to a point where they're frail and they're older, those aren't the people. And it's not that you don't love them, but those weren't the people that you knew. And and in some ways, when my parents both passed, I was thankful because they, they were out of pain. And, and a life mm-hmm. that, you know, at some point in time is going to expire. And if it's not quality, really, what's the point? Yeah. So I don't know, we've become kind of the uh, the deceased parents club here on Mackie and Judd. So if you've gone through similar loss or are on the verge of it, just know that uh, we're here for you. We're probably going to be talking about the Vikings and the Timberwolves and the Wild and stuff, but you can always hit us up. Yeah, and, we talk about the important stuff in life. Yeah, email us. We're not. It's not going to turn into a like a daily grief therapy show or anything, but um, but yeah, we've uh, we feel you guys. We've been through it too. Um, let's continue on here with this feedback Friday. Bunch of Vikings things down the pipeline. This one comes from uh, Matthew Hansen. And I should say that this comment by Matthew is presented by our friends over at Federated Mutual Insurance Company. Helping businesses for over 100 years, like having a great offensive line for your business. Federated has expertise, knowledge, and tools that you can use to maximize your business. Federatedinsurance.com, where it's our business to protect yours. Matthew says, looking at the Vikings' upcoming schedule, other than the obvious Bills game, who are the top three teams that scare you the most on their schedule? I'll throw them out there just so you can think okay, about Okay, I was going to look at it myself, but yep, go ahead. So they got a home game against Arizona, and then road games at the Commanders, at the Bills, then home games against the Cowboys, Patriots, Jets, and then a road game against Detroit, home against the Colts and Giants. And then road games at Green Bay and at Chicago. All right. So, so outside of Buffalo, we're going to take Buffalo off the board. Who yeah, are the next three that. teams that that make you the most nervous? So what I'm going to do is I'm going to to attempt this exercise by looking at quarterbacks, opposing opposing QBs. Okay. Um, they should beat the Cardinals, no question about it. But if Kyler Murray's playing well, he yeah. does scare me. 
I can't dismiss him. He can get outside. He can exploit a lot of things this defense can't do well. Um, so I'm not going to dismiss the Cardinals. Does Taylor Heineke and the Commanders scare me? No, I, they just don't. Like, they, it, it's a road game, so you can lose. I totally get that. Um, but that doesn't scare me as much. Uh, Buffalo off the table. The three-game homestand, Dallas, New England, and the Jets. Um, I don't think any team scares me there, but I do think that there's probably a blip. Three consecutive wins there. Yeah. Probably difficult. Um, and then I, I think Green Bay's checked out by, I mean, I, this doesn't feel right. I think they're checked out. I think you're going to have every chance to beat them, uh, in week 17. Um, so the Cardinals game really intrigues me though, because depending on how Kyler Murray plays that one to me, this defense doesn't necessarily set up well against a guy like that. I could see that being a surprise. Yeah, some of these games, it's hard to know what to make of some of these games. Arizona scares me just in that if Kyler Murray is playing at his best. And by the way, DeAndre Hopkins is back now, so I'm going to put Arizona in the three. That is not a gimme game by any stretch. I'm going to put New England in the three because it's a short week for a rookie head coach against Bill Belichick. So who's who Who has the advantage yes. prepping for three days instead of six leading into that game? Probably Bill Belichick, right? Yep. Yep. In New England, people kind of write them off, but like that's a competitive team. They're going to be fighting for a playoff spot. I'm going to put the Green Bay game on there because I, I do think Green Bay finds a way to bounce back in a game on January 1st in that weather. You know, um, I just I don't I don't think you can dismiss that one. But then the, there's the, the Dallas game. There's some the Vikings don't have many like pushover games left, but they also don't have. You know, it's not like you got the Chiefs, and and there's quite frankly, there's just not that many great teams in the NFL. And you've already right. played the Eagles. You're going to wind up playing two of the three best teams right. in the NFL on your schedule on the road: Philadelphia and Buffalo. So we are going to learn the the um the short week Thanksgiving game against the Patriots intrigues me a ton, and here's why: I don't think that the two of us have ever covered a Vikings team where the head coach doesn't have a stick up his rear end in the week before they play the Patriots. Mm. Childers always got freaked out. Like he changed his demeanor changed Zimmer. I contend. Cause you know, the whole thing is I got to beat bill bill and bill's like, I don't know. I'll beat you. Um, O'Connell played for bill and O'Connell knows a lot of bills tricks and O'Connell's personality would lend itself to actually making a prediction that he won't be uptight. Yeah. That he's smart enough to diffuse it. So I will be so curious. I think that's going to tell us a lot about a young coach um, because I have seen a lot of coaches get very uptight when, and, and they actually, in my opinion, especially Childress for sure, I think he caused his team problems. Like he was wound so tight to beat Belichick that I think his players felt it. So I'm really excited for that short week to see how O'Connell approaches going against a guy who he clearly learned a lot from. Yep, uh, it'll be an interesting dynamic. I agree. Dominic Peppers says, I know everyone's saying we need OBJ or another wide receiver, but can Jalen Rager not run routes? Why couldn't he be used in this offense? He doesn't have he does have speed and doesn't have to be just a gadget player. I mean, he was a first round pick not that long ago. Yeah. He's twenty three years old only. So I that's that's a great question. I mean, is there I'm not saying he has to be their number two receiver overnight, but could could he run 10 routes in a game? No. Probably could. Here's my concern. Here's my slight concern there. The Eagles 
certainly have not been great until, well, the, they have been competitive, but they've had some problems until now, okay? So I think this comes back to how much of his struggles were his own problems, which would scare the Vikings, and how much were organizational in Philadelphia, which, which would lead the Vikings to say, well, we can fix that quickly. And that's what I don't know. Yeah, I would be shocked if he was just incapable of running routes at this point. But, but Cordell he, Patterson he was, couldn't run routes. Like, we uh, found out so much about guys. He was atrocious in Philadelphia. Like, just a non-factor the altogether. Fact, the fact that O'Connell has installed him as basically a gimmick guy and punt return guy leads me to believe that he can't run routes. Yeah. Uh, actually, this plays kind of into this next question here from Cole Bjornberg. Why the hell... Has Kevin O'Connell not unleashed Wang Wu in this offense? I mean, not at all. It seems no matter what leadership we get in the building, we keep wasting these explosive, fast athletes. Well, I think Rager has kind of like Rager. Didn't Rager have that touchdown on the on the jet sweep? Motion the jet sweep. Yes, he did. I mean, yes, that would be the play that you're talking about, right? Get a fast guy on the edge on a jet yes. sweep, and like Rager has kind of stepped into that. So I don't know. I I tend to if listen. Wang Wu did nothing offensively at Iowa State. Yeah. He was not, he was, I mean, I don't even know, did he carry maybe 100 times in one of the seasons? He was not like a featured offensive player in college. Right. So I tend to trust O'Connell here. If if Wang Wu were capable of being part of this offense, I don't know why they would not put him out on the field. So I'm just kind of, I'm going off O'Connell here at this point. What I'm about to say is completely uh, patently unfair, but I'll say it. Um, Zimmer got a lot of heat from us and a lot of people for for employing people that didn't use guys like Wangwu, who, when he was drafted, to me, looked like a Chiefs type of player, right? Um, O'Connell has certainly changed things. Like, he has gotten more from guys who we said, why don't you get more from that guy? <laughs> Wangwu's not on that list. I'm going to side with you and say, if he's not on that list, then they see something. It's like, it's like, uh, yeah, with Rager. That's a perfect example. Yeah. Like, if you're, if he's not being used as a traditional receiver. So what's wrong there? Now, now, I guess the biggest, the my biggest shock is actually KJ Osborne. Um, and I don't know if they're going to unleash him slowly, but surely, eventually, you know, I, I know he's the third guy. Um, I really thought though that he would have had more opportunities by now. I don't know if they're coming, but I guess if I had to pinpoint one where I would like to ask O'Connell, truthfully, tell yeah. me why, um, it would be far more O'Connell than than a guy like Wang Wu or Rager. One of my concerns, and it wouldn't have been one a month and a half ago, is that so Thielen is showing his age a lot, especially between the 20s. His yards per route run is way down. He's just he's not the same injuries, age. He's not the same guy he was. Yes. He used to be recently, 2019 probably, um, one of the 12 best receivers in the NFL still. I don't know that they even really have a, a true number two at this point. If Thielen's not a true number two anymore, and he's more of like a number three possession guy, um, red zone guy, well, if K.J. Osborne is also kind of a number three and can't elevate to number two, then all of a sudden the Vikings are in the market either this year or heading into the draft or free agency for a number two wide receiver, aren't they? Absolutely. I just don't know. I don't know. He's... The difficult thing is, yes, we are six games in, which is not 
in this league is small sample size. It's fairly decent. Uh, but I don't know if they're still trying to sort of figure out what they what they want to do in different... Like, if, if K.J. Osborne maintains this role for five more weeks, then, yeah, I think what you just said is probably right. Yeah. Uh, but here's the other thing, too, because it's sort of a politically sensitive thing on Thielen. Um, as we begin to see the body of work to a certain point erode because he's not off the cliff like he still contributes that's not fair to say he's off the cliff but as we begin to see the body of work erode do roles also shift and 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 is that going to play out the next five to eight weeks yeah it's possible right yep i would i would for now i would pencil wide receiver in as a draft need for 2023 though just a a good young and i and i say that also knowing that i would like jefferson to re-sign for a huge contract. They yeah. still will need a number two that's under team control for four years, rookie-scale contract. It feels like what they don't have right now is a compliment to Jefferson who scares teams. And and the mm-hmm. smart teams basically go into each game saying, we're going to take yeah. Justin Jefferson away. And if you say that, the if you say that, you can't do it if someone else scares you. And and to your point about the stats on on the depth of route for a guy like Thielen, I think it's not that he's not contributing, but I think teams know how to cover him without it being an enormous pain in the ass, which it was back in the Diggs and Thielen days. Yeah, uh, Trevor Boone says hello, Purple Daily. I've been listening to this podcast almost daily for about a year now. I really appreciate your takes and ability to scratch the football itch during the off season too. There's been a lot of talk lately regarding Cousins' worst stats to date despite being 5-1. and one. The image I have in my head is Cousins has always wanted to ride the bike with training wheels. I just work here, guy. Anytime in the past when the training wheels have been taken off, he's like the kid who freezes in fear and stops pedaling and wipes out while we all cry purple tears. This year, however, KOC has been able to empower Cousins uh, when taking off the training wheels. He's pedaling. He's a little shaky and unsteady, but he's riding the bike without training wheels. <laughs> I, I I like this metaphor, That's so well I'm just put. gonna I'm just gonna go with it. Yep. Uh, I I appreciate this. Yeah, I, I mean it's it. it's gonna take more than a month probably for him, and we'll see. I I need to start seeing a little more, a little more. It can't just be like, oh my god, the offense has been gone for an hour and a half, and now we need to have a fire drill in the last four minutes. I need to see a little bit more consistency of offense for a three-hour football game but yeah what i'm about to say is going to be potential heresy and you might disagree completely but six games in kirk cousins is largely what two games in i thought brett Favre in 2009 was going to be Mm -hmm. just kind of a good solid you know managing the games well he is managing the games pretty well Yep. And 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 I have never considered that an insult. So that's not insulting Kirk. Yeah. Of course, Favre in his Crusaders in his career had shown what came next. Like oh, then right. he started carrying the team, much like he had done as a previous uh-huh. you know. MVP but you remember those stuff. first two games, Detroit, yep. Cleveland, Detroit. You know what? He played pretty well, but you did. But he wasn't great. Now in week three, it completely changed there. But like Kirk, to me, six games in. Because he's not sandbagging games now. He's not costing you games. He's actually at times helping you win games. But you also don't walk away from the game saying, wow, did you, you know what? Kirk Cousins was worth the price of my ticket. Yeah, I just, I don't know that there's the level that Favre shifted to. I don't know that that exists for Kirk. Oh, 
to be clear, it doesn't. Okay. I'm sorry. I'm just saying two, <laughs> the two games into 2009 is what I've seen from Kirk through 2006. Yeah. There's no, le- no, no, no. He ain't going up to that. There's no Greg Lewis play here. Christopher Coop, wondering if you guys would consider discussing the new training staff. Seems to be the Vikings are very healthy as a team, knock on wood. It would be interesting yeah. to hear uh, about the new sports science approach the Vikings are taking with the new training staff and new processes. Well, we don't get to look behind that curtain necessarily, nor do the Vikings want people looking behind that curtain. Yep. But to this point, again, knock on wood, they've been really healthy. I mean, Lewis Seen broke his leg in half, but... Uh, right, but that was in a game and it was of sort that. of weird. Yeah. Uh, they they lost... Ellison got hurt in a practice, which is not great. You clearly don't want guys going down in practice. But yeah, um, I think there's no question that training staffs, just like with the Twins, in reverse this season, I think good athletic training staff and sports science staffs um, have an advantage. Like it's like we don't know a ton about it, but I don't think it's a total fluke. Yeah. So yeah, it's uh, I mean, it's hard to know if it's just good luck or if they're doing something process well, wise that has led to being healthier. We just ju- don't know. Just to uh, peel back the curtain just a little bit. Um, Zimmer, I know they brought him in defense of the former staff. Uh, the Vikings people would bring him, you know, this is when we should slow practice down like this week. Uh, this is the week where practice should become more walkthroughs, blah, blah, blah. And Mike was like, oh, we practice football. So, okay, so you know, that's a head coach thing. My guess is, and I think I'm right here, Kevin O'Connell would never say that. He would be like, oh, okay, thank you. Yes, you're right. So it's not just the, it's not just the sports training staff as far as, as being great or bad. I think the fact that Mike didn't necessarily heed their advice hurt the team. Don't forget, Adam Thielen damn near tore his Achilles in the practice after the Saints playoff game and before the Niners game. Mm-hmm. What are you doing yeah. in practice in January yeah. where you almost tear your Achilles? Yeah, You're doing something be, that, you shouldn't be doing. You should be watching film and walking through and getting healthy for that game. Yeah, those things matter. Yep, Those absolutely. things matter. Uh, Mike Gifford says, I'm interested in knowing what typically happens for the players and coaches during the bye week, such as is the building open? Is it an opportunity to take a mini vacation? Sometimes they go on boats, actually, and have uh, team parties, team bonding parties, right? That's happened in the past. My guess is the vast majority of the roster, probably not Kirk, uh, right now is on a beach somewhere. Warm yeah, weather. like three days with pina coladas or whatever. I don't know if players drink during bye week, but just uh, no team building on Lake Minnetonka. Do. No, no, and you know what? Just leave town, too. Yeah. Individually, preferably. The goal is don't get arrested. That's pretty much the goal. And I do know that in in the past, and I'm guessing O'Connell is the same way, that the coaching staff sticks around and self-scouts for a couple of days and then takes the weekend off, I think. Now, O'Connell probably won't himself. My guess is he's... My guess is he burns the candle at both ends, being a young man. But um, there have been times I know where the coaching staff definitely takes the weekend off. Maybe early next week on Purple Daily, we can do some self-scouting on our own. Football. We, can, we should devote the Monday episode to just, like, self-scout Monday, and then we can dive into the next week's games, the second part of the season. Um, I know you did some self-scouting about a year ago and said, you know what? My clothes are too tight. I'm just a little too big 
Mm-hmm. I did. And you know what I said? I said, I've got to, who can I call? Who can, can help me? And that's when I said, my friends at Livia Weight Control Centers, they are the people I need. And that's right. I said weight control. I didn't say diet. This is not a fad. This is not a quick fix. This is a, a plan that works. And it doesn't only help you shed the weight, 40 pounds in my case, but it helps you keep that weight off. And that is the most rewarding best thing and right now if you join you'll receive eight weeks for free that's right eight weeks for free imagine eight weeks from now imagine uh it's the holiday season and you go home to see friends and family and they say have you lost some weight but boy it looks like your clothes fit really well and last time i saw you they didn't fit that well well that's right and it's this simple in fact now with their new flex program you can enjoy the foods you love fruit pasta and even bread 855 go livia livia.com l-i-v-e-a.com inside the state or out you can join you can drop the weight and best of all keep the weight off livia l-i-v-e-a.com Thank you for all of the feedback questions. We appreciate uh, all the interaction on this show. And uh, Vikings Vent Line over on Purple Daily will be back a week from Sunday against the Cardinals. So have a good uh, red zone experience for those of you who are going to sit around for seven hours on Sunday. I'm going to come here Monday, come on this show, and just talk red zone. I love red zone. Just pumped full of red zone. Let's get it. Football. Scotty Hanson.